We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. We have a special show this week as voters here in Taiwan will be heading to the polling stations tomorrow, Saturday, December the 18th, to cast their ballots in four referendums. Now recorded live at a forum jointly hosted by ICRT and the European Chamber of Commerce Taiwan, I'm joined by regular Taiwan This Week commentators Brian Hugh and Ross Feingold, as well as Donghai University political science professor Albert Cho to discuss the referendum issues and hear their opinions about the possible outcomes. So we shall jump straight in there with what many might consider to be the least sexy of the referendums or maybe the oxymoron of the referendum, that being the referendum about, well, referendums. Now, this referendum about referendum asks voters to decide whether such plebiscites should take place on the same day as national elections. So, Ross, obviously, you know, that being taking it to levity levels there, but obviously there are some serious things about this referendum. Obviously, cost and voter turnout are two of the big questions being asked in this ballot. Well, the the serious issue here began in 2018, and this uh, follows changes to the referendum law after the DPP took the majority in the legislative UN in 2016, basically to make it easier to have referendums. This resulted in 10 referendums in 2018, held on the same day as a local election, and People in some places around Taiwan were online for a very long time, keeping in mind these are very big pieces of paper. You have to check off what you're voting for. Uh, there were separate pieces of paper for your city or county councilor, for your mayor or, or your county executive, Xianjiang, and then for the referendums. So the first time around, it, it, like I said, people were online a long time, and then uh, the DPP said, oh, we better change that, so we'll move the referendums to odd years that are not election years, so 2021, 2023, etc. Now the Guomindang cry foul and say, this is a waste of time. We should have referendums on normal election days. Uh, my, my own view is Taiwan government agencies, whether from the central government or the municipal election agencies that actually administer elections, they should have confidence in their ability to administer multiple voting <laughs> on the same day. If, if we continue with separate referendum years, 2021, 2023. The result is going to be like we had before. Um, There was some rationalization of voting uh, days for the different local elections. The result will be almost every year we're going to have a vote on something. So 2022 would be a local election year. 2023 would be a referendum year. 2024 would be legislative UN and presidential election year. 2025 would be a referendum year. 2026 would be a local election year. 2027 would be a referendum year. So uh, we'd be opening this up to the same kind of election chaos we used to have in the late 90s, early 2000s, until, like I said, there was some rationalization. That's why we have what's now called the nine and one, where all the local votes are on the same day. So uh, I'm very sympathetic to arguments that this is a waste of resources to have it uh, voted separately. And also, like I said, I, I would prefer government agencies, no matter what issue they're dealing with here in Taiwan, would show some confidence and say, yes, we screwed up the first time, we weren't prepared, but we'll do better the next time and we can handle this. And Brian. This is one of the issues in which the DPP and the KMT have actually traded positions. It was historically the DPP that pushed for lowering the benchmarks on a referendum, but after the KMT was able to leverage on this in 2018 for its elections, because of the fact they were held at the same time as referendums, 
it then separated the two dates. And so now it is the KMT that calls for restoring this. Uh, what's interesting is that this is actually the first time then that we'll have the election day and the referendum held on a separate date. So they're voting on an issue that has actually not been played out. Uh, we don't actually know what will happen. Will it actually meet the benchmarks to be binding, for example, with the referendum? Um, but it's also interesting in which way the KMT has adopted the DPP's rhetoric on referendums. In the past, the DPP criticized what I called the Birdcage Referendum Act. Uh, it hoped to use referendums as a way to settle these long-standing national issues and criticize the benchmarks as too high. But now that it found this politically inconvenient once it took power, it's the KMT that is now adopting this rhetoric, criticizing the so-called Iron Cage Referendum Act. And so this is the way in which they've switched. Um, but I think in elections in Taiwan, one does frequently say chaos. And with the uh, various 10 referendum questions, what's interesting is that it was very hard for many voters to remember all of these referendum questions, as well as who they're going to vote for. And so splitting this, uh, that was one of the rationales. Um, as was mentioned, there was the issue with polling stations being open too late, uh, that leading to allegations that the voting results were then not as valid because they were going on way past the uh, the closing of polling stations, et cetera. And so th these issues, I think, will continue to be fought over. I also don't expect, actually, the referendum on referendums to necessarily have this issue solved now. I think the KMT and DPP will continue pushing on this, regardless of what the uh, result of the referendum is. And Albert, I mean, seeing as you're the only person on this stage who can actually vote on Saturday, are you losing sleep over when you can vote in a referendum? And is it important when people vote in referendum, just as long as there's referendums? Okay, um... <clears throat> Kind of follow up the two other commentators uh, in that uh, I would like to say that um, referendum in Taiwan actually, uh, especially when we look at those political parties' attitude towards the referendum, it's constantly changing. It depends on who is in power, right? Okay, so DPP used to be a big supporter for referendum and, and should kind of uh, lift all those kind of restrictions uh, of the voters if they want to be qualified to, to vote, right? But after DPP uh, took power and, and there was a chaos in 2018, the referendum, uh, there was a lot of key, a long queue and, and people wait for a long time or the outcome came out. So that's actually, that, that's a serious issue that you know, people can be influenced by the results from, from the TV. Okay, so, so to me, it's a political issue. It's a political manipulation, just as we discussed earlier on uh, in, 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 in the table. Okay, so also the other thing we have to remember is also the recall election. Just kind of follow up uh, Brian's uh, argument that um, before the DPP, they tried really hard to make the recall election as easy as possible for voters. But when they found that you know, this, this kind of uh, uh, removal of the restriction backfired on them. So they kind of you know, became conservative on this. So to me, the referendum dates uh, is not so much for voters to express their opinion as much as for those political parties to kind of for their political calculation and also all kinds of manipulation. And that's pretty sad. And we as a scholar, we as a uh, political scientist, what we can do, even though, you know, pretty much limited uh, most of the time, is we tell people, tell people in public, uh, even including our international friends like now, that, um, you know, you have to think through those issues and before you make up your mind. And... Also, it's internet edge. We have a lot of social media, a lot of information floating around. A lot of them misguided. A lot of them are oversimplified, a lot of information. So people really need to have that kind of capability of thinking through. Otherwise, the, the, you know, the results came out would be not so, 
not, not so much meaningful to me. That, that's one thing. The second thing is that in political science research, we actually have a very salient research uh, indicated that um, if voters uh, get informed, we have a simulation, computer, computerized simulation. If people are more informed, their attitudes tend to change. And this, this is a very famous uh, experiment in the United States. Like people, if they are more educated with the issue on abortion, on, on, you know, gun control and those kind of stuff, they will, they will change their attitudes. But you know, in Taiwan, we, we probably don't have that. So actually today, I, I, you know, before the, the, uh, the conference, before the presentation, I, I check out the literature uh, in that regard uh, in Taiwan. But unfortunately, we don't have that yet. But I'm sure that either you are supporters for TPP or supporters for KMT, if we give them accurate, neutral information as much as possible, they will change their attitudes. But we don't know yet because, first of all, not many people are, are you know, concerned with the election. So my prediction for the turnout will be like maybe around 50 percent. But, but the thing is, like, if it's about 50 percent or less than 50 percent, then the result will be valid, invalid. You know, it needs to pass a threshold of 50 percent, 50 percent plus one. Otherwise, the, the result will be invalid. And then if reached to the threshold of 50%, then we came to the next step, you know, talking about who is pro is more or cons more. So that's kind of my, my observation for, for, for now. And Ross, I mean, do you think the general public is going to care about the referendum, about referendums, or do you think the other three have more bearing on people's daily lives? Well, the thing about the, the referendum on referendums, in, in many ways, it's, it's the easiest one to understand. So do you think we should have referendums on election days or not? Uh, yes or no? It's, it, it's pretty straightforward, unlike nuclear energy. I, I, you know, those of us who are not nuclear engineers or environmental activists or in the energy industry might struggle to understand, uh, is it safe or not? Is it dangerous or not? Uh, the waste issues, Taiwan's energy mix. Same thing with, with, the, with the LNG station. You know, those of us who are not in the industry, not experts, are going to struggle to understand whether or not there'll be damage to the wetlands, whether or not this is the right way forward for helping to address Taiwan's energy needs. And the same thing with the pork. We don't know who's telling the truth. Is it, is it going to poison us? I, I, I noticed the menu here today had a note on the side that said we only serve Taiwan pork. So we see the Far Eastern uh, organization wants to make very clear that they're not serving American pork. Um, so, the, uh, yeah, you know, to the extent, you know, we see a lot of commentators, including us, saying, well, you know, the public, it's, they're struggling, it's difficult for them to, to really understand all these issues. But the one about referendums is, is the easiest one to understand. Uh, so I, I, I think uh, uh, turnout, I, I would expect it to be a little bit higher, maybe, than, than Albert's uh, forecast. Uh, and, uh, uh, if there's any issue that people understand, it's... Uh, it's, it's the one about having referendums. But they might also be very inclined to listen to their political party. If you're a DPP supporter and the DPP is saying what, what a terrible idea it is to have referendums on the same day as election days, I, I think most DPP supporters are going to listen to the DPP politicians and then vote, vote against uh, moving the referendums to election days. And Brian, I mean, do you agree with Ross here? Do you think the DPP voters will vote with the DPP on the referendum on referendums? Yeah, I think so, actually. And it's interesting that the DPP has positioned itself as having four no's and the KMT as having four yeses on these referendum questions. And so this illustrates, I think, the stark partisan divides between the two parties that one is all against and one is all for. Um, but I think what's interesting with regards to this 
referendum on referendum questions, the quote unquote meta referendum question, is that it's hard to build a narrative around this for the sake of politicking. That the accusing the DPP, for example, of endangering the Taiwanese public through energy policy or pork or et cetera, that's easier to leverage on politically. Regarding this referendum uh, issue, there's less of a construction of a narrative on that. The KMT is less focused on this, for example. Uh, there's the accusation against the DPP of being autocratic, of being dictatorial, et cetera, through just splitting apart these days that referendums and elections are held on. But I don't think to see this being leveraged on in terms of campaigning as much as the other questions per se. Albert, when we think about the referendum dates issue, uh, one thing I just mentioned uh, in my first part of the talk is the procrastinate election process experience in 2018 reminds of our government units, the Central Election Commission, to detach the referendum election from any general elections, right? And the second notion uh, I would like to present is that, uh, you know, like the DPP's position, the previous position, they, they want to make the referendum as easy as possible, just mu as much as uh, for the recall election, but now they switch their position. That's the second point. Uh, number three is that um, the turnout, right? Okay, referendum is actually an election on issue rather than an election on candidates. And normally election on issue attracts less attention f uh, than election on candidates. So we actually had a similar experience back in 2005 when uh, we had the uh, candidates for National Assembly. Now it's been abolished. And the turnout rates at that time was only 23%. So it was pretty low. And uh, actually our chair, the chair of, our, of my department, the previous chair, he was one of the candidates. And nobody really cared about him, <laughs> what he talks about. So the issue election is always hard for people to follow up. And the same talk, I mean, the, the same situation, I think, can apply to this time, I mean, the referendum. So referendum days, if, if you combine the general election with the referendum, I think it makes sense in terms of uh, boost, bo boosting the turnouts. That's, that's, number, that, that's the uh, pro side. The con side, though, on the other hand, is that um, parties, especially those ruling parties, because they are in control of all kinds of resources, they tend to manipulate. Right? They, they have all this necessary personnel, even they have investment in the media, they know how to manipul manipulate you know, within that uh, opportunity window. You know? And specifically because uh, this uh, referendum date's uh, proposal is read uh, whether referendums should be held alongside general elections if a referendum proposal is confirmed less than six months before general election. So that's one to six months. Then in the aftermath of a referendum must be a, uh, the occurrence of a, of a general election. So that really gives chance for major parties to you know, throw out some major topic and to make, make, make momentum for themselves. So that's kind of pro and con. And what else? Let me think about it. And, and also, if you look at uh, different democracies in the world, uh, you know, we have friends from different countries, maybe uh, in the QA parts, you can add up to this. It is a convention in a democratic countries that general elections and the referendum elections are separated held. For example, in California. And I, I don't think they, primary election, yes, they, they, they hold the primary election, also referendum together, but not for the general election, or maybe, maybe some. But, but you know, the, the situation in Taiwan is totally, they combine the two together. Okay, so I think pro and cons, this one is, I, I agree with Ross that this one's not so important. But because it is proposed by the John, uh, Johnny Zhang, he is the previous chair of KMT, and Johnny is actually my friend. He told me that you know, his original calculation for this proposal is that 
you know, he can, um, first of all, uh, get elected for the uh, chairmanship, but in the end, he lost, right? And after he, he you know, if he could, could have at win, won this election, then he can continue with this uh, referendum. If, if he sees the momentum from this one as well, then probably he can have a more expensive political future. But, you know, it, it turns out it, this situation is not like, like what he calculated. Poor Johnny. Poor Johnny, yes. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Anyway, moving on in the referendum on whether Taiwan should ban the import of racto pork, as some are calling it. Brian, obviously this one is shrouded in domestic political squabbles. But of course, Brian, there's also been claims that if Taiwan bans the import of said racto pork from the United States of America, it could be considered a, sort of an unreliable international trading partner. So I think this is quite interesting regarding international trade and particularly the relation with the U.S. The Tide administration took a political risk in lifting the barrier for uh, racto pork. Uh, this has long been a political issue in Taiwan of contention. Uh, the DPP actually, again, previously leveraged against this issue. When the KMT was in power, when Mainzio was in power, it was actually the Ma administration that proposed this. Yet, uh, leveraging us politically when you're the ruling party, or I mean, when you're the opposition versus when you're the ruling party is a different matter. So this is another way in which they have now switched position. Um, but in terms of this political risk, the aim is to cement a closer economic relations with the U.S. Uh, this has been a sticking point for that uh, trade relations, and the hope is then increasing economic relations will increase the political incentive for the U.S. to benefit Taiwan. Uh, but the pork industry in Taiwan is quite powerful, and so this does influence the DPP in the future. And it actually did surprise me that she was able to even get her own party to fall in line on this issue in order to lift the barrier. And so it's really to be questioned there. And turning it to the general public, I think, is a quite interesting stratagem at this point in time. So, Ross, the trading issue, the issue of trade. Well, is Taiwan an irresponsible trading partner if it bans pork and you believe the market should just do what the market does? Well, uh, just to address something Brian said, I, I couldn't disagree with Brian more. This showed zero political valor on the part of President Tsai because she made the decision after she had won a second term. So if she wanted to be politically brave on this issue, she could have made the decision in her first term because, believe me, the science didn't change between her first term and, and when she was reelected. So the pork had ractopamine from 2016 to 2020. This did not change in January or the spring of 2020 uh, when, after she was successfully reelected and then decides to announce uh, the policy change. So there was no political bravery there. If she wanted to show political bravery, improve relations with the U.S. even more, although there was really no need to during the Trump administration, could have made this decision in the first term. And as, as our friends from Europe and the ECCT know very well, she did make a similarly brave decision with regard to British pork. And Gavin, I'm sure you would appreciate that as well. Um, in her first term, now it wasn't a ractopamine issue. Correct me if I'm wrong, Freddie, it was not a ractopamine issue. Uh, but there were uh, hurdles to pork uh, from the UK coming into Taiwan in the interest of better relations with the UK. President Tsai made a unilateral decision when there was a delegation of, of visiting uh, parliamentarians. I love you. Thank you for coming. I'm going to let your pork in. So if she was politically brave, she could have done that um, for the US pork. But when it comes to the, the impact on, on trade negotiations, this is another issue where the KMT and the DPP have switched positions. Because if we go back to, for example, the, the ECFA or, or the, the FUMAO uh, trade and services disputes, 2010, 2014, you know, President Ma used to say the same thing. Well, if, if the FUMAO, the trade and services agreement, doesn't pass, uh, then we won't be seen as a reliable negotiating partner because Taiwan won't keep its word. So now we've once again switched positions on this between the political parties. 
That being said, yeah, the U.S. will be really grouchy if this doesn't doesn't um, uh, uh, or it's upheld to to have a ban. Uh, yes, the U.S. will be angry. The talking point of the DPP, though, is that it'll have an effect on CPTPP negotiations. And to date, I'm just not aware where any CPTPP member has said if the referendum passes to ban U.S. pork with ractopamine, keeping in mind the U.S. is not a member of the CPTPP, we're not going to negotiate with Taiwan on its application. So I haven't seen any of the CPTPP members say this. In Japan, we know that their issue they care about is the food from the Fukushima region. Um, all that being said, uh, I'll just be consistent because I've said this in, in other forums. My own view is uh, Taiwan should just let this pork in. The, the, they could put whatever warning label or I, I don't buy the argument from the government that we're not allowed to label it. It'll be discrimination. You know, we're suddenly we're worried about the feelings of, of dead pigs, right? That, that there'd be a, a warning label on it. So I think that one could have been negotiated with the U.S. President Tsai could stand outside the supermarket and say, don't buy it, it's poison. I, I, I wouldn't care either. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that in the interest of moving on and not letting this be an impediment um, with U.S. relations, uh, I think Taiwan would be better off at uh, letting the pork in. So, Albert, racto pork. I'd just like to point out to everybody, Ross is actually a vegetarian. So, you know. Right. So, to show you what a reasonable person I am, not only am I a vegetarian, but I'm saying let the pork in. So, you are not vested interest. Okay, no. I know that. Okay. Well, CPTPP might not be an immediate concern, but TIFA is. Okay, uh, the last time we had a talk, I mean, Taiwan had a talk with the United States was back in 2016. And uh, there was an interruption of six years until this year, okay? So, um, you know, like I, I talked to uh, AIT ambassadors uh, for many years. I don't think that the United States governments would be that naive that if the ban on the U.S. pork passed, then they will be get mad, and you know, like I, I don't think that 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 not, not not naive, but that actually, if the the ban, the the you know the uh, referendum uh, of the ban passed, it probably creates a lot of uh, climates out there that you know, like now the U.S. Taiwan relations is that you know intense and very uh, interacting a lot. Maybe it would, would, would kind of create some kind of problems or barriers for the TIFA. Maybe not so much for CPTPP. For CPTPP, though, in the perspective of Taiwanese people, what we are concerned the most is that if China will enter CPTPP earlier than we do, if, they, if China does, then definitely, trust me, China will create whatever it can to stop Taiwan from entering CPTPP. And that's our concern. Okay, that's one thing I would like to say. The second thing is that as a political scientist, I would like to share a, a uh, survey uh, since uh, September 2020, uh, it's 59.5% of the people, uh, voters in Taiwan, not satisfied with the policy of the U.S. pork imports containing residuals of rack uh, since then. And the latest poll uh, they had was the, in March this year. It's even more, more than 60%. Okay, so... You know, like, like what I say in the beginning, excuse me, people are ignorant. You know, voters normally they're either not interested in politics or maybe don't have expertise in politics. They are busy. They are like overwhelmed by their daily stuff. So they don't really know what's going on uh, regarding international standards, like for example, Codex. Codex actually had those kind of uh, very scientific, like what uh, Russ just mentioned, uh, measurements of, you know, how much... Rec uh, rectopamine that you should have, you know, when you, you know, 
end up in your feet. Okay, so United States will argue that uh, everything is consistent with the codex uh, standard, but the counterparts, many from KMT, they will say, no, there are exceptions, for example, European unions, okay, they don't buy into that codex uh, standard. And also Canada, Canada, per se, they just don't use the uh, feed with the residuals of the rack, okay? But that's their personal choice, that's a national choice. So to me, as a free trade supporters, I think that, you know, Brian said this, put it really well. I know sometimes he would say good thing about DPP, but he's been very fair today, like to two parties, in that parties switch position easily. It depends on whether they are in, in power or not. When they are do that, when they are in power, then they change the standards. And that's really confusing to me. As, 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 a, as a professional in, in, in academia, what we do is we always have to have a consistent measurements, you know, across time and also across different countries too. So that's, you know, uh, populism versus science, I would say. I will, I, I will put this in this way. It's a populism, all right? And KMT see the momentum, see the chance that uh, they should make a good use of it. So they want to do that, but also President Tsai Ing-wen did a pretty terrific job in terms of, you know, switching it back. And that's what I'm saying. KMT always screwed up when they have a good ball uh, in their hand. When they are, it can they can pitch a good ball, but they always screwed up. But for K, for DPP parts, they they know how to you know reverse the underdog status. That's what 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 DPP is good at. And moving on to the third referendum. This is, of course, about the Dartan Algal Reef and should they build an LNG receiving terminal in Taoyuan. Now, of course, Brian, this is interesting because it actually pits the Greens against the Greens. Yeah, so I think this is quite interesting because, uh, I mean, just to repeat myself here again, it is the third issue on which the KMT and the DPP have, <coughs> have switched positions on. The uh, liquid natural gas terminal that is up for debate here is built off the coast of Taoyuan, off Datan district. Uh, the concerns from environmentalists, which have been long-standing, are that this would threaten a 7,600-year-old uh, algae reef, including the uh, marine diversity of the area. And so this was proposed under the KMT originally, but with the DP, then the DPP opposed it in working with environmental movements, etc. But now that the DPP is in power, this has changed. And so despite the push from the DPP towards renewable energy, the current claims are that the LNG terminal is necessary for Taiwan's energy transition. Uh, the DPP also has tried to kind of take the wind out of the sails of the environmental uh, activists there in terms of saying that they, well, we've reduced the size of the LNG terminal by 90%. Uh, in the meantime, the, the referendum push on this issue from the environmental groups in the area uh, was actually not going to clear the benchmarks, but it gained momentum after the KMT signed on to the issue. Uh, despite that this was passed originally under, proposed originally under the KMT. And so this kind of dynamic, I think, is something that we see repeating with all of these questions here, actually, or most of them, referendum questions. Well, the reality is wherever you build this kind of facility, there's going to be some damage to the environment. Um, but unfortunately, the conversation has departed from the important issue, which is what's in the best interest of Taiwan's energy security, keeping in mind Taiwan has to import its energy, especially uh, we'll talk about nuclear, but the reality is nuclear is probably not going to be used in Taiwan um, over the long term. Uh, renewable, as many in the audience know, there's a limit uh, to what it could provide, especially in the near to medium term, despite claims of uh, the government policy about reaching 20% within a few years. So you need to bring in the LNG, especially if you want to reduce reliance on other types of dirty energy. So wherever you build this, uh, you know, there's going to be some, some damage. Uh, but unfortunately, 
we're, we're not having a rational conversation on this issue. Uh, as Brian mentioned, the political parties keep switching positions. Uh, we're not talking about what I think is the key issue, again, which is energy security. We just seem to be about scoring political points, uh, which uh, takes us away from the, the focus on the core issue. So, Albert, political points over core issue. Okay. Um, uh, well, actually, this question, I mean, this issue actually refers to the construction of, uh, to be specific, a receiving terminal for natural gas energy production, okay? So this has nothing to do with the nuclear uh, power plants, has nothing to do with the foul, uh, power plants. This is a receiving terminal, okay? That's the first thing I would like to clarify. The second thing is that the location of this receiving terminal, uh, uh, whether or not it is uh, kind of in the position that's harmful to those uh, LG reef, that's another discussion. And also should be subjective uh, science and also those kind of professionals. So uh, for the pro parts, which is, because this uh, referendum proposal is proposed by a, a environmental activists. And the activists used to work a lot together with the DPP, the ruling party. And if you have a little knowledge about Taiwanese politics, uh, then you will know that um, DPP, as opposed to KMT, work closer with the environmental activists. So, but again, uh, whoever is in power, you know, he or she has to deal with those tough issues, okay? So, uh, you know, since 2016, when Tsai Ing-wen took, uh, took office, we have seen a lot of schism and also conflict between the DPP and also those environmental groups, and this is one of them. And again, because this is an issue that KMT sees the opportunity to jump in, to seize their moments. So they decide to you know, kind of stand in line with those environmental activists. Okay, so that's the second thing I would like to uh, uh, remind you guys of. So basically, overall, the referendum uh, you know, votes is about a balance between stable energy versus environmental protection. In this, we, if you guys still in Taiwan, say three or four uh, months ago, remember we had this power shortage three times nationwide. And that was really hot. And also there was a, uh, uh, the, uh, the coronavirus, the breakup in Taiwan in May, okay? So people complain a lot. Uh, power shortage and also a lot of people uh, infected and people die, right? And so like in Taiwan, you can see we have a pretty, pretty uh, comfortable life quality already. So, you know, those kind of uh, difficulty remind people of you know, all good days that, oh, my grandfather <laughs> didn't have the power at a home while there's a virus outside and where can we go? We cannot even go out to shop to buy pork or buy beef back home to feed our children. Okay, so that was like a criticism, heavy criticism of the uh, ruling party, the DPP, by saying that you guys are lying about this uh, stable energy supply because actually there's a just inefficient uh, energy management out there and the energy just not enough but you, you keep saying that we have to follow the German standard that we don't want the we, we don't want the uh, nuclear power anymore. We have to shift to this kind of uh, other types of resources instead. But that's just not possible for Taiwan to do. Okay, so the, the argument is over there. Finally, if the removal of this uh, terminal uh, happens, then that will add up burden to the uh, power power plants in Taichung. You know, whoever lives nearby that area, you know, the air quality is pretty bad. And largely because of the uh, power plants. 
because the you know the, the, the those kind of gas and and and, and pollutants and that kind of make the life quality over there pretty bad. So there's a trade-off out there, but the burden should be on the ruling party instead of on the, on the KMT. So the debate go, goes on. And finally, the fourth question in the referendum, of course, concerns the fourth nuclear power plant in New Taipei's Gongliao district. And of course, while this encompasses safety concerns for obvious reasons, it also hits on the government's plans for a nuclear-free homeland pledge, Ross. Uh, the, the idea that the next president uh, would be an enthusiastic supporter of nuclear power or expanding nuclear power seems pretty far-fetched. So even if this referendum were to pass uh, to support unmothballing the fourth nuclear power plant, uh, I, I think it's highly unlikely that the next president would continue implementation of that. I wouldn't expect President Tsai's administration to implement this referendum. There, there's any number of administrative tools they could use not to do anything about this. Uh, you know, as many of us would know, the permit has not been approved yet. Call us back in a while. We're still looking at it. Is a frequently very effective answer from a government agency. So uh, I wouldn't expect uh, the current administration to uh, unmothball, and I wouldn't expect the next DPP president, if the DPP were to win, um, and uh, they would, again they would come up with the same same uh, justifications not to do anything. And if a Guomindang president is elected, I, I think they would face the same pressures that we saw. The last time we had a Guomindang president when this project also uh, basically uh, slowed and then went into mothballs as well after having been slowed or mothballed under President Chen. Uh, so uh, as much as I do think Taiwan needs nuclear power, uh, it almost doesn't matter what the result of this referendum is. Although I still encourage those of you who are eligible to vote to vote. Voting is good. Um, Giuseppe, please, please vote. Uh, but but uh, uh, again, I, I have no reason to believe that if the voters say, yes, we want to unmothball, that we're actually going to see the fourth nuclear power plant in operation. In fact, regardless of this result, I would still expect the uh, existing three to come out of operation and not be replaced. And of course, Brian, the, the chap that instigated this referendum is a bit colorful. Uh, yeah, he is a bit colorful. And so actually, I, I sometimes wonder why, particularly uh, as the KMT, which is historically the more pro-nuclear party, why they have not found a better spokesperson. Uh, some of his actions recently include threatening people on live television and in the middle of debate taking out what he claimed to be a glass of juice and toasting Kosu Taka, the presidential office spokesperson who has been critical of the disposal of nuclear waste on indigenous land. And so that is quite interesting there. Um, it's one of these issues then in which the KMT is a historically pro-nuclear party, the DPP is the historically anti-nuclear party. Uh, this also came up in the last referendum in 2018, for example, regarding goals to phase out nuclear energy by 2025. The public voted really against that, uh, and the DPP is still committed to that. However, in this case, it does seem a little more consistent where the DPP is still taking this uh, kind of anti-nuclear position. Uh, what's interesting, I think, particularly for the KMT is that it is committed to this issue. Uh, it can lead to dissent against the KMT. For example, the anti-nuclear movement was one of the stronger social movements in terms of numbers, ability to mobilize, etc. when the KMT is in power. With the DPP power, because historically it's closer to the anti-nuclear movement, the winds have been taken out of the cells of it, and so you don't have these kind of mass protests and so forth. Uh, even with this referendum, you don't see the mobilization level of the anti-nuclear movement compared to the past. But if, let's say, there was a KMT president, and you are unmothballing reactor 
factor for, you would then open the path for this to happen. Um, the KMT claims this is necessary for Taiwan's energy needs, et cetera. But it's interesting to me that they have also decided to take this kind of risk politically in that sense, that this could be another vehicle for opposition against the, the KMT. So, Albert, I mean, would you like them to turn the Gong Liao nuclear power plant on, or do you think maybe they should not press that button? Okay, um, not like from North Korea, press that button over nuclear, right? Okay. Anyway, um, you know, kind of follow up uh, uh, Brian's good point, uh, but you are talking about the DPP's consistent position on the nuclear power energy. I agree with that. But to our voters, they are pretty fickle, you know, like, you know, whimsical, like they change from time to time. Back in 2018, when another re referendum took place, that one was proposed by Huang Shixiu, you know, a young guy, uh, kind of ally with KMT. And he again proposed the same proposal, but in different form. Uh, this time, he's also the people who proposed, the person who proposed it. Uh, but in the previous uh, referendum, the result flipped 180 degree, right? That, that one, uh, most people, most the voters in Taiwan, they say that they uh, do not want to see the uh, 2025. What, what did you say? Like the nuclear free homeland. Yeah, free free home. Yeah, that, that was a term for that. So you can see the public opinion kind of change a lot. Even though the, the, the two uh, sides are really close. And it also depends on timing. Like if you have the power shortage at that time and people say, oh, we want nuclear uh, power energy now because that's, it's more efficient. And also, you know, it, it, it creates a lot of convenience for us and also cheap. Like in, in United States, the, the electricity bill is pretty expensive. Like in Taiwan, we're pretty, pretty cheap. But, but the thing is, we, we still have a shortage of the uh, supply of electricity, okay? So that's kind of a trade-off out there. And our voters, I think they are in this such a paradox that they don't know which way to go. Depends on how they feel about their daily life. So that was the four referendum questions. And now let's talk about turnout. So, Brian, do you see a big turnout for Saturday's vote? And how many of these referendums will get the yes vote and how many the no vote? That's a question. I don't usually venture predictions for the future, but I think that if we are, for example, approaching 50% and that's something around there, if we cross it, we don't cross it, other factors might be at play. For example, rain is forecast for this weekend. And so will that affect turnout? That's also a question. Well, as, as I said earlier, I, I do expect turnout to be fairly healthy. Uh, voter turnout in Taiwan tends to be very high. Voting is extraordinarily convenient for most people, especially in urban areas. Usually you don't have to, as long as you're living where you're near where you're registered, uh, very often people are not, but if you are living where, near where you're registered, it, it's uh, usually a very fast process, notwithstanding what happened in 2018. Uh, so with the convenience of voting, uh, I, I think turnout will be high. Also, uh, to be fair to the DPP, uh, in recent days and weeks, they've, they've certainly increase their energy level uh, to encourage their supporters to vote no against all, all four referendums. Uh, in recent uh, hours and days, they've brought in the China issue. I was on a panel yesterday with several uh, DPP um, legislators and, and other politicians, and uh, you know, they emphasized that this is about China. So we could see that at headquarters, they clearly made a decision to make this about China, and we'll see if this works. And very often it does. So uh, that, that'll probably be effective for mobilizing their, their supporters as well. And then, uh, as we talked about earlier, the, the talking point about this will have a negative effect on US relations, that could be effective 
uh, as well. Uh, so they could go they could go either way, and that's why the polls are, are showing you know that that they're they are very very close. Uh, it's really hard to say which way they'll go, but I, I, again, I do expect turnout to be about fifty percent. And Albert, will you be leaving your house in the rain to vote? Well, for me, no, because I think four of them are like political manipulation. And also, I have to keep distance from the real results, you know, trying to be objective. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind if my wife forced me to vote. Okay, anyway, um, my guess for this turnout rate is about 50%. I think uh, Russ is right that uh, Taiwanese people are very enthusiastic about voting, okay? Uh, think about the turnout rates in our previous uh, general election especially. Uh, was even up to 80. But to political scientists, this is too much. This is like a fever, you know, like too hot. You know, too much enthusiasm is not good for democracy. You might have all kinds of violence, family violence, uh, violence between colleagues, violence between <laughs> boyfriend and girlfriend. So I don't, you know, just not, not trying to be snobbish on the American side, but according to American model, the healthy model is that 60% of the people turn out to vote. 30% are like observant or subservient to, to the actors, uh, the active people. And what, 10% just feel indifferent. Okay, that's the ideal model, but I'm not sure that's right. But I would say that this time will be around 50%. Like what I just mentioned, you know, several years ago was like 23%. That was like miserably low, right? But this time it's about 50%, I guess. But maybe it will be a, li a little bit more than 50%. That's one thing. The second thing is that, you know, in a survey, in, in a three pollings in my hand, uh, you know, when uh, we ask respondents, do you know that the election day is on uh, December 18th? 90% uh, of the respondents say yes, they know it. But that does not mean they know it uh, good enough to vote, okay? And, but we, when we ask, uh, will you vote on election day? Uh, 75 Four to seventy-five percent of the voters would say yes, but you know there's some kind of problem with social desirability. We have to take into account. Okay, so I, I don't I don't see that much unless what Russ just mentioned. A good uh, point is that there's a spatial instance. For example, our president got shot. That happened actually in the past, or any kind of political violence that has to do with China, but that does not help any referendum except for that American pork one. So the pork, I mean, the pig are innocent, right? I mean, that has nothing to do with the pig, but the pig will be like, oh, what the hell? I mean, it's not none of my business, but now like, I'm related to this national uh, security stuff. Okay, that's kind of my, my prediction. Brian, do you think we've seen a referendum fever, or do you think the general public's been a bit apathetic about it? Uh, I do think that there is a ramping up towards the referendum. There's much more discussion. Uh, you do see it much more visibly in the city with these rallies going on, etc. Uh, but it is definitely not to the point as it would be if you did have the same day as elections, uh, that elections are being held on the same day as referendum. That'd be the, it'd be a very much more, there'd be much more discussion of Taiwan's national future. I think the national security issue, or let's say the quote-unquote China factor would enter into play much more in the discourse if that were actually the case. But because of the fact there is split is not as much. And so I think it is quite interesting that, for example, the DPP, which it would benefit from uh, introducing the China factor, playing up the fear of China, has not actually done that as much until perhaps the very end. They do want to avoid the accusation of only relying this only to win elections or uh, get its political will done for all cases. So, Ross, some might say playing the China card is rather desperate. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, the other word you just used was, was apathetic. I mean, the poll data does show that voters are, are familiar 
with uh, the issues generally, they know that there's a referendum. Uh, they they got their voting notice in the mails uh, as long as they're they're visiting where their registered address is. Uh, uh, my view on, on some of these questions is uh, Taiwan's a small country; it has 113 legislators. I think a lot of these issues should be handled in the legislative UN. So you know, you talk about apathetic. You know who's apathetic? It's those legislators who aren't doing their job. So if they actually handle these issues appropriately, you know, they like to say, especially the DPP in the last election, they say, you know, JDT. You know, we have our pulse, our finger on the ground. We know what the grassroots are saying. Well, then if they really did, um, and, and this applies to all the political parties, not just the DPP, then I don't think uh, these issues even need to go to the voters for, for our, a national uh, referendum. Um, so when you say desperation, the other important word you just used, uh, you know, who's, who's desperate here? Well, both political parties are desperate to position themselves for um, the local election, which is less than a year away, and then 14 months after that will be the national election. So when you talk about a fever, uh, uh, although I, I don't share Albert's view on, on, on we should pursue lower voting participation, I actually think higher participation is important in democracy. But the fever is uh, where you know, we're going into this extended election season. We have the referendums. We have the, the uh, recall election for Freddie Lim in Taipei in January. We have the by-election in Taichung. Uh, dish, uh, uh, constituency number two, and then, uh, as I said, November is the local election, and then 14 months later is going to be the national election. That's where the fever is, and the parties are desperate to position themselves for that, uh, Gavin. That was a Taiwan This Week referendum special recorded live in Taipei at a forum jointly hosted by ICRT and the European Chamber of Commerce, Taiwan. And I was joined at the forum by Brian Hugh, Ross Feingold and Albert Cho. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.